Alright, I want you to take your Bibles here this morning as we open up the Word of the Lord to the book of John, chapter 13. And then you can put another finger in our text for this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to begin reading in the book of John. And then we will read that and directly go over into uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And you'll note as I read these two passages that they are saying the exact same thing in different words. So John chapter 13 beginning in verse 34. I want to read two verses. Jesus is speaking in the upper room to the disciples. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Then Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Our Lord spoke to His disciples and said, A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Paul writes, Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Jesus qualifies that love when He says, Even as I have loved you. And Paul writes, Just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Do you see the parallel there? He's saying the exact same thing with different wording and expanding it for us. These verses in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 3, (coughs) act as a hinge pin in this chapter. Previously to these verses, we are to imitate God the Father and walk in love by our speaking to one another. We're not to allow any unwholesome word to proceed from our mouth. We are to be angry, but yet not sin. We are to speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. And we are to be kind to one another. All of those things are dealing with our lips. Our speaking one to another. This ver- these verses being a hinge pin now take us to imitating God the Father and walking in love in our behavior. And you'll see that in verse 3. No immorality or impurity or greed must not be named. No filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. Because we know no immoral person shall inherit the kingdom of God. So our walking in love involves our heart, doesn't it? And it is first seen in our lips and how we speak to one another. And it is also seen in our behavior. Immorality, any impurity, greed, silly talk, coarse jesting, filthiness, those things are not walking in what? They're not walking in love regardless of what the world teaches. When a person commits fornication, they are not a loving person. They are being an unloving person. We are to be imitators of God. 
walking in what? In love. In my house, <clears throat> I have a picture over the fireplace. If you've been in my house, I don't know if you paused and <clears throat> you've looked at that picture. I purchased this picture, my wife and I did. I have no idea, but I know it was decades ago. <clears throat> we were very young in our marriage. We were in another town. We visited a Christian bookstore. <clears throat> we're walking around, and I saw this picture, <clears throat> and I could not leave that store without purchasing it. It is a picture of a lamb, and it is sitting on hay. And the verse that is underneath that picture is this, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. When I look at that picture, <clears throat> I feel ashamed. It's a good type of shame. Because of how far short I am of that picture. If you look at that picture, at least through my eyes, I see meekness. I see submissiveness. I see contentment. I see an animal that is there totally at the beckon of the shepherd. I see a lamb that does not open its mouth as it is taken to the slaughterers. I see the character of my Savior. That is what drew me to the picture. And that is what that picture says to me. And it embraces me every time I look at it. This is how these verses do when Jesus says that we're to love one another even as I have loved you. This love is a love that is to be manifested in every New Testament assembly. And that love that He is speaking of <clears throat> has boundaries and definition. It is not just human love. It's not a fallen type of love. It is a holy love, a unique love. It is a love that can only come to us by God. It is a love that is unchangeable. And that means that the love that I see in the Scripture of my Savior around 30 A.D. is the same love that is to be seen today in New Testament assemblies in God's people. I think that we have been so programmed, not because we were willing to be programmed, but by default, we think that today is different and God responds and requests different things of us today than then. This love is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it is love that is defined <clears throat> by the love of Christ. It is boundaried within the boundaries of Jesus Christ. In other words, folks, this type of love, this unique love that is not under this sun, but can only come from God, this love has a cost associated with it. That is the love for which He loved us, did He not? Ephesians words it this way, as an offering and a sacrifice. That is a cost. This love that is unchangeable has 
a boundary and a definition, and there is a cost associated to it. And it is a pricely sum. Secondly, this love is to be manifested one to another for the saving good and edification of one another. Isn't that why Christ died? Folks, He didn't die for Himself. He didn't die to earn something for Himself. He died for God, for us. It was for the saving good and edification or building up of the church of Christ. This is part of the definition and boundary of this love. Thirdly, this love that is to be manifested in the church is sacrificial. And what I mean by that is what we read for our scripture reading. It is self-denying. Does everybody see that? Sacrificial means self-denying. That means that this type of love is not has no self-interest. It's not about my viewpoints, my desires. This love has no self-gain in it. It has no self-ambition in it. It has no self-greatness in it. This love is not a love, and I understand what this phrase means, but it's not a love that says, I want to do great things for God. This love has no self-exaltation in it. And folks, really I could just take that and continue, but I could just sum it up with this. This love, sacrificial, self-denying love, has no self in it. You can just put whatever you want to after the word self. And there's no self in it at all. This love that is sacrificial and self-denying has both excuse me, has both joy and pain associated with it. You could say it has a painful delight. Those words don't seemingly go together, right? The love of Christ being expressed through His disciples will have its own unique joy and its own unique hurt associated with it. for the saving good of one another. For example, the church at Philippi gave offerings to Paul repeatedly, did they not? And in 2 Corinthians 8, this church at Philippi had experienced God's grace among themselves. And this is what Paul wrote about their giving. In the great ordeal of affliction. Did you hear that? In the great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy. Did you hear that? And their deep poverty. Did you hear that? Overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. It was a painful delight. Do you hear the hurt involved in the word affliction? Do you have any idea of what that means when it says deep poverty? Not just poverty. Deep poverty. 
And do you know the sense of joy when it says their abundance of their joy overflowed in the wealth of their liberality? Do you see Christ in that? Do you see the grace of God in that? Do you see the sacrificial, self-denying love of God in that? They gave beyond their ability. What he meant by that was, like the woman with two mites, they took of their necessities, not of their surplus, but of their necessities. And they urged Paul to take this sacrificial offering. And Paul would say that this was a fragrant aroma, just like our text, Ephesians 5 and verse 3 says. And folks, when you understand that, that they took of their daily necessities, then you understand why Paul would write, my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? They gave of their deep poverty. They gave out of their deep poverty by God's grace. And God responds in a smelling their fragrant aroma, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. This self-denying of one's own interest for the saving good and edification of one another is the means by which mankind will know that you are a disciple of Christ. Did you hear that? This is how the world knows that you are a disciple of Christ. It's not by what you say. It's not by a slogan on a t-shirt. It's not by expressing your, the feeling of your music. It is this cruciform, sacrificial, for the good and edification of others. The self-denying aspect of this that becomes the trademark of a genuine disciple in this world. And folks, I just want to let you know that the world and false Christianity are continually putting this to a test in your life. They're testing you. The world says, live for yourself. Right or wrong? The world says, save yourself. Fulfill your dreams. Fulfill your ambitions. Do what's right for you. Walk according to how you feel. And we'll let you do it under the banner of Christianity. But what is unacceptable to the world is for you to be a biblical Christian. Because folks, when the world says live for yourself, that is unloving. When the world says save yourself, that is unloving. When the world says fulfill your dreams and ambitions, that is unloving. When the world says do what is right for you, that is unloving. That is not the love of God. And the world knows this. And they know that if you walk that way, even under the banner of Christianity, they know that you're no different than they are. Do you hear that? By this, by this, all men will know that you're my what? This is how they know. And folks, they know when they see it and they put you to the test on it every day of your life. The world, the flesh, and the devil is putting you to the test about this. And the world will congratulate you 
and false Christianity will congratulate you, and immature Christians will congratulate you, but what they don't want you to do is to walk in His love, to be imitators of God. Now, I have spent time on this because what I have just described to you defines biblical worship. The past several decades, Christianity has written a lot of books and spilt a lot of ink and digital ink on the internet arguing about worship. Concerns that they have about worship generally center around music styles, length of how long the sermon should be, what times this church should meet or not meet, generational concerns ad infinitum. And I'm not saying that those topics are unimportant. I'm not saying that the Scripture doesn't have anything to say about it. But I am saying this. Worship originates from the heart of a believer in Christ walking in cruciform love. That's where it starts. A self-denying, sacrificial relationship to God and mankind. And folks, this is exactly what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. We're not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be renewed. And we're to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice by the renewing of our minds so that, now hear this, so that you can prove what the will of God is. That holy, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Does everybody hear that? What does that mean? It means that you will never come to understand the will of God until you walk in His love. Until you present your body a living sacrifice, until you renew your mind with what He has said, you cannot prove what the will of God is. And folks, that really is the problem in our debates about this. People have a point that they want to make. They have a self-interest in the point that they're driving at. And it doesn't matter how much scripture or how much consideration or how much spiritual wisdom you give to them, they just can't see it. Because they have a self involved in this. Does everybody understand that? By this love, all men will know that you're my disciples. This is where true worship begins. Now folks, that is exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 verses 1 through 3. He is saying that an approved, acceptable walk before the Lord starts with being imitators of God. And folks, when you read God, you can think of God the Father. When you read Christ, you can think of God the Son. We are to be imitating God and that imitation is firstly to be manifested where? In our speech. We are to be self-denying in our speech. And folks, this is exactly what Christ said in John 12 verse 49. The Father has given to Him what to say and what to speak. 
Has God given to us what to say and what to speak? Answer is, yes. I don't have it in detail, but I have the framework, I have the understanding, I have the signpost, I have the Spirit of God, I've got the grace of God, I've got the understanding of this to be able to speak appropriately for the need of the moment so that no unwholesome word can come, comes out of my mouth. And folks, if I have to self-deny this, that means that there are times too frequently, that there are times that I want unwholesome words to come out of my mouth. Right? Because that's what I'm feeling. That's in my soul I'm about to explode in unloving speech. And I have to deny myself. Take up the cross and follow Him. Because if I'm going to give wholesome speech that is to minister grace, the only thing that I know that perfectly does that is the Word of God. Paul said, grace to you, words of God. Grace be with you, the Word of God. And John says that his Word is eternal life. Did you hear that? In other words, folks, unwholesome, non-edifying speech that doesn't sow the grace of God among one another is death. It is killing to a church. So we are to imitate God by our lips, by our speech. And folks, what is unique about Ephesians 5 and verse 1? Be therefore imitators of God as beloved children. What is unique about this is that this is the only place in our Bible in the New Testament where we are told to imitate God. This would be God the Father. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says that they became imitators of God and His Son. So there you have both together in the verse. And folks, three times in our New Testament, follow this, we are told to imitate Paul. You're familiar with that one, right? Be followers of me as I follow the Lord. Imitate me. So we're to imitate God. We're to imitate God and His Son. We're to imitate Paul. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says to that church, they became imitators of us. That is the apostolic company. That would be Paul, Silas, Timothy, others who were with him. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're told that that church, the Thessalonican church, were imitators of the churches in Judea. Isn't that fascinating? And then in the book of Hebrews, we're told to imitate local New Testament pastors who give evidence of having inherited the promises. And later on in that book, he says that you are to obey them, now hear this, and imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. What do we draw out of that? Folks, our imitation of God is to be reflected and echoed from Him, through the incarnate Son, through the Apostle Paul, through the apostolic company, through the body of the church, through the church leadership, to its individual members. And here's the beautiful thing about all this. 
It's all like-minded. In other words, if I'm imitating God and the church leadership is imitating God, that's the same imitation, isn't it? If I'm imitating Christ and Paul's imitating Christ and I'm imitating Paul, that's all the same imitation, isn't it? How are we to be like-minded? How are we to be in union about this? How are we to be in unity about this? And Ephesians 5 verse 1 says this. Here's how you do it. You be imitators of God. How? Walk in love. Walk in love. Folks, if I tell you be imitators of God and know all things, is that possible? That's not possible. You can't ever and never will be omniscient. If I say be imitators of God and be all-powerful, can you do that? The answer to that is no. How are we to imitate God? Walk in love. <clears throat> and can an individual member do that? Yes. Can a church body do that? Yes. Can leadership do that? Can the apostolic company do that? Could the apostle Paul do that? Did Christ do that? This is the union and unity that we are to be one about. We can differ in gifts and talents. We can differ in ethnicities. We can differ in strength and education. We can differ in a whole lot of ways, but this is the way that we're one in Christ and one with one another. And folks, we can do this. Because we are beloved children. We are beloved children. Who are we loved by? God. Folks, since we are beloved children, we can love like He loves. You ought to hear First John in this. We love God because He first loved us. This is what this passage is saying. We're to be imitators of God and walk in love as beloved children. Now folks, that imitation of God and that walking in love is really what the law said. The Mosaic law commanded us to love God and to love one another. And if that's all we had, if that's all we had was this command, this raw command, be imitators of God, walk in love, then each one of us could have an individual mind on what that is and what it looks like and how it's to be manifested. But the invisible God became visible in the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, folks, we're not left to guess about this. We're not left to our own relative understanding of what that means. We're not to come up with an individual definition of what it means to love one another. We don't have to get a committee together and really hash out what this is. It's been manifested, this invisible love of God. And God is invisible, isn't He? You can't see Him. He's a spirit. This invisible love of God has now been seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ manifested God's love to us because we know that to see Him is to see the Father. Show us the Father and it would be enough. Philip, have you been so long with me? 
How can you say, show us the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. That's an amazing statement that you and I can't make. Now folks, what is this love? Well, it's all that I introduced the message with. But here in this passage, there's at least three things that I want to point out. First of all, His love was voluntary. I can get the command. I can get the duty of it. It's the voluntariness of it that bothers me. Because I find in my flesh an involuntary resistance to this. Don't you? Christ gave Himself voluntarily. This is hard for us to get our minds around. He wasn't forced to do this by God the Father. He wasn't coerced to do this. He voluntarily gave Himself up. Total freedom on His part. No constraint because He thought of you and me. Totally free. And folks, the world sees Jesus Christ giving His life and the Father asking Him to do that. They see this as cosmic child abuse. That is a growing understanding of Jesus' giving His life. That it was child abuse from God the Father to God the Son. That is an abomination and that is a blasphemy. Outside of the fact of the world child abuse, folks, child abuse is something that is brought upon another person involuntarily. The child never says, abuse me, right? This was not forced or coerced. It was voluntary. He handed Himself over to be an offering and a sacrifice. And folks, when you love God with the love of God, there will be in a growing voluntariness in your heart to hand yourself over to the will of God. Does everybody see that? Folks, I'm describing worship. Do you hear me? This is worship. Secondly, Jesus Christ, verse 2, Ephesians 5, Jesus Christ gave Himself voluntarily, now look at the verse toward the end, to God, everybody see that phrase? To God for us. He gave Himself voluntarily to God as a substitutionary atonement for us. It was the just for the unjust. It was the innocent for the guilty. It was the sinless one for the sinner. It was the righteous one for the unrighteous. Isn't that loving? Folks, it's easy to love someone who loves you. It's hard to love someone who is unloving to you. It was substitutionary. Thirdly, it was the ultimate expression of love to God and love to our love to mankind. 
Folks, it was the fulfillment of the law. You want to obey the law? Here it is. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do you see that? Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Self-denying. Taking up your cross for the good and the edification of one another. That's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of worship. And folks, this is going to take a carefulness about you. Look down in Ephesians 5 and look at verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Does everybody see that? This is going to take you being mindful about this. And it's going to take a renewed mindset to understand this. Do you see in chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 17? Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the will of the Lord. That statement isn't saying, ask God who to marry. Try to understand that will. Try to understand the will of where I'm going to go overseas to serve God or what church. There is a will of God for that and there are signposts on how to do that. This understanding of His will is the eternal purpose and that is for us to be redeemed, to sum up all things in His Son, for us to be conformed into His image and for us to imitate Him in love one to another. This is His will. And it's going to take being filled with the Spirit to do that. And folks, this is to be reflected and echoed in the church in our hymnology, our music. It's not just the music I like. It's the proper music the words and the style, the music that is being played. It's going to have to be reflected and echoed in our conversations one with another, in our teaching as we teach, in our gratitude, thanksgiving coming from our lips. It's to be seen in our family relationships in our employment, in how we deal with government, and how we deal with mankind. Do we see that? Folks, walking in His love is not just you telling God you love Him. It's not just singing to God you love Him. It's to be loving in your heart and in your soul and in your inner man. This is worship. And it is by this that all men will know that you are my disciples. It's beautiful. It's shameful on how far away we are from this. And it's glorious. This is the glory of the Lamb that will light the new heavens and the new earth forever. And lastly, folks, this is the only living sacrifice that is approved of God. Know what the text says. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a what? Fragrant aroma. Fragrant aroma. 
Folks, our voluntary expression of loving with the love of God is sacrifice. It is our sacrifice. Whether it's the sacrifice of our lips, or whether it's the sacrifice of thanksgiving, or whether it's the literal sacrifice of our bodies, this is the walk that is fragrant to God. And folks, this phrase, fragrant aroma, is an Old Testament expression. It is an expression that in the Old Testament sacrifices, like when Moses, not Moses, Noah, gave that sacrifice and God smelled and it was pleasing to him. It means that God approves and accepts this type of sacrifice. This is the type of sacrifice that God approves of. It's the will of God, amen? And is acceptable to Him. And folks, you know this you know that this is exactly what our Lord said. When He came into this world, when the Son came into this world to take on human flesh, He said, sacrifice and offering you have not desired. Now what He means by that is the blood of bulls and goats. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired but a what? A body. Does everybody hear that? A body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, listen to the voluntariness of this. He prepared for the Son a body. Then I said, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Do you hear that? And did He? He did God's will with what He said, He did God's will with how He thought. He did God's will with how He walked. He did God's will by being a voluntary sacrifice to Him on our behalf. No self in it. This is the love of God. And folks, Hebrew tells us as believers that we do this by faith. In other words, we see this in the pages of the Bible. And we believe it. And we do it. We see this in speech that is thankful in the midst of the face of reproach. Hebrews 13 verse 15. Folks, it's hard enough for us to be thankful, but let alone to be thankful when you're being rebuked and reproached. you agree with that? Mm-hmm. This is true worship. This is worship that is pleasing and acceptable and approved of God. And folks, we know this. We just may not have systematized it and put it together like Paul did. When Jesus was with the woman at the well and the subject was worship, That was the subject. And Jesus told her that worship, the day is coming when worship is not just centered around ritual and geographical location. But they will worship God in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit 
and in truth. Do you hear that? Where does it start? Inside. How has it occurred? By truth. The truth as it is in Jesus. The truth I'm proclaiming to you right now. To be imitators of God as beloved children. My brethren, you can speak in multiple languages. You can have the knowledge of your Bible and all mysteries. You could be a great systematician. You could exercise great spiritual activities. You could be a giver beyond your ability and out of your necessities. You could suffer even unto death. They could write a biography about you. You can go across land and sea to evangelize and to be a missionary. You can go across the street to your neighbor. You could be a pastor and build a large ministry. But if you're not an imitator of God, walking in love as Christ loved, you are nothing more than disharmonious music. Noisy to the ear of God. Profiting nothing. Why? Because you are nothing apart from this. Walking in love amounts to our being patient, kind, humble, submissive, appropriate, self-denying, forgiving, delighting in truth, bearing under reproach, hoping in Christ, enduring. Why? This love never fails. Folks, this never fails. Do you hear that? And that is the way that we are to walk in love. Imitating of God, whether it's a church body, whether it's you as an individual, whether it's me as a pastor or pastors of a local church, whether it be the apostolic company or Paul or Christ, we're all to be united in this because by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. Let's pray.